We're going through the Old Testament, and we came to 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David has been anointed at Israel's future king. And from that time of anointing, as David goes forward, the Holy Spirit now rests upon David. And as believers, we also have the power of the Holy Spirit resting on us, available to us, and we call it the upon experience, which God promised. He says, I will give my spirit to those who ask. Simple enough, right? All we have to do is ask for his spirit. But the Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman also. He never forces himself upon any of us. And the Holy Spirit, he will come and he does live within us. And we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we have the Holy Spirit. But there is the empowering of the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. And it was given to David. And it changed David's life. It was given to the 120 followers of Christ on the day of Pentecost. And that same promise is given to the early church disciples throughout the book of Acts. This empowering is necessary for us today. It's necessary for us to live that life as a witness to Christ. No matter how we struggle or try to live a life that is a witness to Christ. In the flesh, we can't make it. We can be as determined as Peter was. We just don't make it. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need that upon experience of the Holy Spirit. And it should be a high priority of every believer. The entire book of Acts is centered around one verse, and that's Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't we all desire to be a witness, a good witness unto the Lord? We want a witness of, to anyone who will listen of the goodness and the love of God. But Jesus said, be a witness unto me. Our first and foremost call is to be a witness unto Jesus. And if we do that, then others will see. Others will be attracted to our relationship with the Lord. And I need the Holy Spirit upon me. I need it. By the way, so do you. <laughs> And David, from the day he's anointed, will go forward and become a man, a man of God after God's own heart. And it's because the Holy Spirit is upon him. A side benefit for David, he will become uh, a great king, the greatest king Israel ever knew. He will be included in the lineage of Christ. David was used mightily of God. He wrote many of the Psalms. David has been called forward 
by Saul's, uh, instru not instructors, but advisors, by Saul's instructors to play the harp and calm King Saul as this distressing spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul. And Saul will now go through several years of severe depression, even anguish, because Saul now finds himself disobedient to the point that he opposes God in his life. Saul is a man of disobedience. He would not listen to Samuel's word directly to him from God. And God will now take away the rulership of Saul over Israel. Saul has been removed spiritually from that leadership, and it's just a matter of time till he becomes physically removed from leading Israel. Saul, I think it, what you would write on the epitaph on his tombstone, he didn't know what true repentance was. He didn't know what it was like to turn away from sin. And so he therefore made excuses for sinning. Repentance is not limited to just being sorry for your sins. It's a realignment in your life, a realignment of behavior, a realignment of attitude. Repentance is an about-face from the direction you were headed. And Saul never truly was a man to repent. But you know, only God knows when we truly repent. Only Jesus gives forgiveness. King Saul, he refused to change. He did not turn from his sinful ways. He had a desire to appear spiritual. He wanted Samuel to go with him and they, he wanted Samuel to sacrifice along with him before the people where he could look spiritual. But it was only a show of righteousness. And so we see Saul and his life is basically a disaster. But on our journey through the Old Testament, we're trying to do this chronologically. And we come to Psalm 23, and that's where we'll be this morning. A departure from 1 Samuel, and no one really knows when Psalm 23 was written by David. Some say it was written early in his life. Others say, no, it was written late in his life. But that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through the 23rd Psalm because it's worthy of our attention. It's worthy of our study. It's probably the most popular psalm in the book of Psalms. Um, it's often read in uh, times of distress. 
Many times you will hear the 23rd Psalm read at a funeral. So turn to Psalm 23. And throughout God's Word, we're referred to as sheep. And as sheep, we desperately need a shepherd. Sheep, quite possibly, are the most dumb of all herd animals. So, but let's read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First thing that David does here, he acknowledges the Lord is my shepherd. Not your shepherd, not our shepherd, but he's my shepherd. David is a shepherd himself, and he has come to realize he needs a shepherd over him. And the similarities between us, God's sheep, and real sheep is kind of striking. <laughs> Have you ever heard of an attack lamb? No. We never read about lambs being aggressive. It has been observed by those who, I guess, shepherd sheep, that a squirrel can actually put a flock of sheep in flight. One squirrel can make a whole flock of sheep run. David, he is a valiant warrior, and he declares, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is David's personal protector and overseer. That's what a shepherd does. Have you ever marveled how God has taken care of you throughout your life? I'm an old man. You can see that. <laughs> but I've never been hungry in my life and unable to get food. Never been hungry in my life when I could not get food. I've gone through hard times. I've gone through lean times. I've had, you know, a lot of troubles. But I've never been hungry and unable to eat from a lack of, you know, money to buy food or just a lack of food. I don't know what it's like to go hungry. Neither has my family. And I venture to say that applies to most of us here. I have not wanted for food. That's a big statement in this world where many people go to bed hungry. Much of the world, much of your third world nations uh, experience a lot of hunger. And they do it on a regular basis. 
I have found in my life that I've not only not gone hungry, but I've been a farmer part of my life. Yep, you're sitting and listening to a farmer. And I produced food. And that was fulfilling. It really was. But now I'm a cowboy. I got cows. By the way, you need beef? I got it. <laughs> but, you know, I've never been homeless either. I've always had shelter. And I have clothes to wear. And it's mostly because I live in a land, a nation of plenty. But it's God who blesses America. It's not our goodness. It's God who has blessed us. We live in what the psalmist calls the green pastures of plenty. Even my cows, and I just have a few head of cows that I raise for beef, they have more than enough to eat. My cows do. And they feast in the pastures. We just cut hay, our first cutting this summer, and now I have enough hay for my cows to go throughout the winter. So my cows have food set aside to go through next winter. And David says, I do not want for food. And I can say the same thing. I do not want for food. The Lord, our shepherd, he makes all of us to lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. Now, sheep need water. Any herd animal needs water. And still water is not a threat to a sheep or a lamb. Rushing water, hard flowing water, is a great danger to sheep. It's sort of hard to swim with a heavy wool coat on. And that's a lamb. If they try to cross water that's too swift, they drown. Scripture tells us, to be still and know that I am God. We're told to do that. And Jesus was a great example of never getting in a rush. Never in a panic to get somewhere or do some urgent good deed or healing or anything like that. In fact, we read where Jesus received word that his friend Lazarus was sick very sick, sick unto death. And he sent this word by Mary and Martha. And what does Jesus do? He stays right where he's at two more days. We know Jesus loved this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But Jesus stayed where he was purposefully, not allowing circumstance to dictate urgency. How different we are from that. We can get caught up into our schedules and our schedule, our work schedule, our to-do list can rule us. Our shepherd, the Lord, leads us to green pastures
And don't miss this. He makes us to lie down by still water. He makes us. There are times when God says to us as Christians, slow down, take it easy, enjoy the trip, smell the roses, whatever you want to say. And if you can receive this, God will use sickness. He will use injuries. He will use financial hard times to slow us down, to make us lay down as he sees fit, because he is our shepherd. He leads us, he makes us lie down beside still waters. Maybe you're like me. Whenever I get the flu or any sickness or anything like that, God has got my attention. First question is usually, why God? <laughs> why am I going through this? And God uses our frail bodies, our old aging bodies, to cause us to reflect upon where are we going and what are we doing with our lives? What, what, what's our agenda? The Lord knows many times we simply need to relax. Take it easy. And there is a reason that he wants us to relax and take it easy. For he is a good shepherd and he's out to restore our souls. He slows us down to restore our souls. As sheep, as Christians, we need to think about, we need to ponder where we are going and what we're doing with our lives. How am I responding to God's leading of my life? There's a term that's very popular in today's world, and it's get off the treadmill. Maybe you've been on the treadmill. <laughs> you know what that's like. We can stress out, and we know stress causes more harm to us physically than any other thing. We can overextend ourselves. Our work habits can consume us. And if we're not careful, our schedule can become so controlling and so chaotic that we find ourselves needing needing to be slowed down. I find myself loading up my free time, or what should be free time, with projects. You ever do that? You, you have a need-to-do list, <laughs> things that must be done. Understand, we're on a journey with our Lord. He is our shepherd. We are being prepared right now for what? Eternal life. Heaven. That's what God is doing in us. He's preparing us for heaven. And heaven will not be work-oriented. It will be worship-oriented. 
oriented. Think about that one for a moment. In the Old Testament, the Jews were given several feasts every year to celebrate simply being God's chosen people, a Jew. These, few, these feasts usually uh, lasted a week. Uh, so it was, I think, four major feasts every year, four-week vacation. And as a believing Jew, you would attend these times, these celebrating feasts, and one in particular that you never could miss if you at all were able to make it was Passover. So let's look at Jesus as a young boy during Passover. Luke 2 Verse 41 through 52. Take a moment to turn there. Luke 2, 41 through 52. Jesus and his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Every year, this is a priority in their life. They go up to the feast there in Jerusalem. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mothers kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Every year, Joseph would take his family up to Jerusalem and observe Passover, a full week celebration. But let me draw your attention to the timeline here. Verse 43, when the days of the feast were over, when this week is done with, Joseph and Mary are going back to Nazareth in their one full day's walk from Jerusalem back towards Nazareth before they even miss Jesus. This indicates that Jesus, even at 12 years of age, was a trusted young man. They trusted him. He had never obviously caused them any difficulties or problems. But Mary and Joseph, they begin to look for Jesus. And they start with their relatives, and then they go to the acquaintance. 
He's not around back to Jerusalem. Now, it tells us that three days later, they find Jesus. Where did they find him? He's sitting in the temple. Why wasn't that the first place that Mary and Joseph looked? The temple. But it isn't. They've looked around all of Jerusalem three days before they find Jesus. And they find him, and he's there listening and asking questions of the scribes and the rabbis. And he's astonishing them with his insight, with his knowledge of the word. So, it's another four days on top of the week of Passover celebration. So there are minimum 11 days away from Nazareth. But the question remains, where has this 12-year-old boy stayed? What has he had to eat? Where has he slept? These are concerns for Mary and Joseph. Mary, it says, is anxious. She is beside herself with worry. And she asked Jesus, why have you done this to us? Jesus basically says, done what? <laughs> Cause us to worry, Jesus. We've been anxious. And Jesus not only astonished the teachers of Israel with questions, he has a question for mom and dad. And this question of his, this basically a statement question, is a wake-up call to Mary and Joseph. Why is it that you sought me? Why were you looking for me? It took you three days to find me here at the temple. Where were you looking? Did you not know, this is the condemning part, that I must be about my father's business? Or, Mom and Dad, you should have known that I had to be about my father's business. We read a little later, Mary will ponder this question, ponder this situation for years to come. She kept all these things in her heart. But this delay caused by Jesus is a necessary delay. It's a, an awakening to Mary and Joseph. It is a making them lie down by still waters. He forces them to consider who they're raising. I must be about my father's business. It's been 12 years now since the miraculous birth of Jesus, since the virgin birth of Jesus. 12 years since the angel appeared to Mary. 12 years of what we would call normal day-to-day -day activity. And Mary and Joseph, they've grown accustomed to Jesus living with them and simply being a good son. He's been trustworthy. 
This is indicated by they didn't even look for him as they left town. You know, this trustworthiness was evidenced by him missing and no one knew it. But Jesus will now go back to Nazareth with mom and dad and subject himself to them and to their authority until he enters ministry. But this stop in your tracks missing of Jesus in Jerusalem brings Mary and Joseph back to reality, what their life should be all about. The reality, their great mission in life, they are given the responsibility to train up Messiah. Imagine that. They have the Son of God living in their home and they've grown accustomed to it. Each and every person here has a mission in life. We all have a mission given to us by God. And Jesus reminds Joseph and Mary of their mission by saying, hey, I must be about my father's business. And now Mary and Joseph have to realign, readjust their life as Jesus' parents. It was a complete stop in your tracks. Where are you going and what are you doing, mom and dad? Don't you know who I am? And Jesus does that in the kindest way possible, but in the most succinct way possible. And he tells mom and dad he has to be concerned about his father's business, and they should also be concerned about it. And this happened when? When they were forced to slow down and look for Jesus. They had to consider what this is all about. When our schedules are upset, when our routine is disturbed, I challenge you to ask the Lord, are you trying to speak to me in this slowdown? Are you wanting to change things in my life? Or simply put, why are you making me to lay down beside still waters? What are you doing, Lord? God is a good shepherd. And he, at times, he will slow us down. He will make us to lie down by still waters. Learn from it. The green pastures, in the time of plenty, we have everything going our way, and then Jesus will come in and he will stop everything going on in our lives and make us think and consider what we're doing, where we headed, and why we're headed that way. Stillness before God, waiting upon God, is always good. 
Our daily devotions should include a quiet time, a still time before our Lord. We won't get through all of the psalm. We'll continue next week. So, But let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for being the good shepherd. We thank you for being so faithful to slow us down, to stop us, to turn us away from our chaotic, hectic schedules sometimes, Lord, just to simply speak to us. May we, as your children, as your sheep, and you being our shepherd, may we receive from you the times of refreshing that you want to give us. You want us to in, enjoy this journey, this trip that we have with you, and sometimes you have to readjust our thinking. You did for Mary and Joseph. You made them stop and consider who they were raising, what they were doing. And Lord, sometimes you gotta stop us. And may we look upon these stops, these laying down by still waters as a blessing from you to readjust our thinking and our motives. Lord, we give you full authority by the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We are the sheep of your pasture, and we thank you for being that good shepherd. Watch over us, Lord, and we pray and ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.